0: This week on Dig Meow, Out. Back to the life. With your hosts, Jason Popular, and Tim Popular,
1: Jay, this week we have our first roundtable discussion of the 2016 season, our sixth season. It's only our second season doing the roundtables, Jay, but they were so popular last year we decided to bring them back. Yeah. And um, as we did last year, we're kicking it off with a discussion of the albums from 20 years ago. We did 1995 to kick off 2015, so it only makes sense to go with... uh, 1996, although I guess we could have gone 25 years, although, you know, we could have gone to 91, but we'll save that for 2021. (laughs) It's
2: interesting that we picked the middle of the decade. I'm not, was that a conscious decision or? No, it it just. Was that just the year that popped in our head? It's just the year that popped in
1: our heads. Plus, I'm not great at math, so I don't think I thought that 1990 was 25 years from 1995 or 2015, so.
2: We are not math magicians. No.
1: Not at all. So to help us revisit the albums of 1996, we have a a, a crew of veterans who have come back to discuss these records with us. From uh, where I am, Columbus, Ohio, the uh, owner and operator of Kids Interview Bands, Mr. Chip Midnight. Chip, how are you? I am doing great tonight. Excellent. From... Just up north, Cleveland, Ohio, writer for Ultimate Classic Rock Magazine, host of the new podcast, Lost Together, Mr. Matt
0: Wardlaw. Matt, how are you? Howdy, sir. I am uh, pleased to let you know that we got uh, a good amount of snow today, so I think winter is officially here.
1: We did, too, down in Columbus. We got about half an inch, (laughs) which was enough to drive people off the road, so... (laughs) And then, uh, I imagine in the much more warmer climate, uh, down south, uh, the, uh, writer for punktastic mag- Magazine, uh, owner and operator of Rocket Fuel Podcast, Mr. Jeff
3: Takis. Jeff, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Staying, staying warm? You know, we, uh, in Tallahassee, we might actually get to freezing tonight, so, um, it's kind of like the apocalypse here.
1: Whoa! I imagine they just <laughs> shut everything
3: down. Yeah yeah just shut it down (laughs) pretty much
1: actually our low is 32 also so there
3: you go. here's
2: warm as florida my friend (laughs) it could be it could be chaos end of
1: days (laughs) well we better get this recorded then before everything goes to hell (laughs) Uh, people are going to need something to listen to uh in the uh, post-apocalyptic uh the day after uh movie scenario where everything's frozen um We're going to talk about the albums of 1996. We're going to talk about our favorites. We're going to talk about the albums that uh, we think stand the test of time. Ones that didn't do so well. We'll cover some other things. But I wanted to kick this off with a brief just thought on 1996. And I want to hear everybody chime in on this if you think I'm crazy or not. In looking back at at the albums each year, like what were the best-selling albums? What were the albums that uh, made the biggest impact? 1996, this is the year that Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill sold 7.3 million copies. The next year, anyone want to take a gander what the number one album was in the United States? 97? 97.
2: That boy. Matchbox
1: 20? Nope. Mm. Is it Backstreet Boys? Worse. Uh, And worse. Spice Girls.
2: Oh. Yeah.
1: Spice Girls were the number one album and then you have 98 the Titanic soundtrack thanks to Celine Dion and then in 99 you have the Backstreet Boys so this pretty much is the last year in my mind where the alternative movement of the 90s was the dominant force in album sales and in um, single sales and those The, the specter of manufactured pop Boy groups, girl groups, of adult contemporary, whatever you consider a Celine Dion, that starts to rear its ugly head in '97. And in, in early '97 is when the Spice Girls get the number one single in the U.S. Uh, a couple months later, Spice World comes out. A couple months later, the Backstreet Boys album comes out. So '97 is where it all turns, and it goes back to Fan fractured pop and and all of that. So we are we are discussing what I think is like the last Shots fired in the alternative revolution, and so a lot of these albums that we're going to talk about are are pretty important because of that. Some of them are um, first albums, some of them are second albums, some of them are bands that were around a while. So, am I off base in that thinking that that '96 was the? I know we still have OK Computer in '97. There's still important albums to come out, but as an overall movement, am I crazy in thinking that this was the? the last big year. Anybody want to take a shot at that?
2: Well, when you look at the top forty, I'm just kind of scanning it through it right now. It's very segregated between like R you know, pure RB and alternative rock. There's very little that's in the middle. You know, there's a mm-hmm. there's like a Tracy Chapman, but a lot of it is like, you know, Tony Rich Project, Bone Thugs and Harmony, and then you've got like Jim Blossoms. So I think there's something to that where there wasn't like a straight sort of pop that had existed prior to this, and right. what existed after it. It was it was more genres, for sure.
1: And in in some ways, the the hip hop and rap of the '90s can be correlated, I think, with or, or or not lumped in necessarily, but there was some crossover with alternative music, alternative rock in the '90s. Whether it was on the Lollapalooza tour or the Judgment Night soundtrack, or, you know, Anthrax and Public Enemy working together, there was a crossover which there was not with pop. Pop was its own entity. And that, you know, was at the beginning of the decade. There were still people, you know, like Mariah Carey, who were selling albums with Houston with the Bodyguard soundtrack. But um, not in the same way that in 94... and, and, And just for... You know, the record, 95, was Hootie and the Blowfish, the number one selling album. So <laughs> I don't know if they're considered alternative, necessarily. I don't know what they're an alternative to. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty like, album-oriented rock uh, with that <laughs> record.
2: Didn't uh, the Atlantis record came out in 95, right? Came out it in did.
1: 95, but... Yeah. It sold well through that.
0: Yeah. 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 I think I was surprised looking at 1996. Um, you know, it, it was a good year... For music, um, but also a lot of my favorite records from the alternative era um, came out that year. It was just it was a strong year mm-hmm. for alternative music, and I think that like you're right to kind of mention '97 because as I think towards like '97 and '98 and '99, it's like I know that you know working in radio at the time. Um, those years, I mean, things really started to drop off and, and uh, the quality just really started to just completely drop out. Chip or Jeff,
1: any thoughts?
3: You know, when I started um, looking at 1996, uh, it was kind of funny. I, um, the way I started doing this was um, I looked at the old archives of the episodes of MTV's 120 Minutes to see what was getting played. Um, There and just kind of looking to see what records were released in in 96. And and, uh, like it was said before, there were a lot of great records that came out that year. Um, I felt like 96 was kind of overshadowed by 95 in a lot of ways. I feel like there were so many great records that came out uh, that year. Um, But I think you're right, Tim, as far as, you know, the Alanis Morissette record kind of being the the dominant record of the year and that kind of being the last time an artist like that was able to to sell that many records, I think, is uh, is pretty accurate. But of course, in kind of the alternative and underground, uh, you know, music scenes that were occurring you know, there's always been, you know, kind of that undercurrent of great music that's kind of beneath the beneath the surface, and that and that exists even in '97 and beyond. So, that's my thought.
4: Yeah, and, and uh,
3: as I was looking at things too, '96
4: seemed to be for a lot of the bands that um, I kind of have picked out for this, uh, sort of like the rookie year. If you were going to equate it to like a, a sport analogy, um, a lot of first albums, first or second albums coming out by a lot of bands that a lot of which are still around today. Um, and or some are are already on the reunion phase of their careers. But that was kind of the start for a lot of the bands that that I've picked
1: out to talk about tonight. Well, let's talk about some of those bands. I want to talk about first the albums that were released in 96 that made an immediate impact on you guys when they were released. These are not ones you had to discover later on, but ones that you you... 're on board from that moment um, I want to mention <laughs> just one which uh, uh, is is kind of an oddball one um, you would probably get a, a chuckle but uh so I used to go to midnight sales like I'm sure you guys used to go to as well sure uh, when you're when your favorite bands were putting out records so uh, in ninety one Metallica had put out the black album and I was so psyched. To hear what was gonna be the next record, because I wasn't really a huge Metallica fan up until the Black album. And then I went back and got Injustice Justice for All and Master of Puppets and that kind of stuff. So I went to the Midnight Sale and College, went to Mad Hatters in Bowling Green. It was like, all right, new Metallica. And I got home with load. And um, <laughs> I think I tried to like it for a while, but I was like, what is this hero of the day song? This sounds pretty like light this is not heavy and uh yeah so that wasn't one that worked out what were um some of the albums that you guys remember Uh, i'll start with you chip as far as albums that you were uh, looking forward to and immediately liked back in 96
4: so um i've been on previously to talk about triple fast action who Mm -hmm. did not release a record in 1996 however um I remember talking to West Kid doing an interview with him, and he had mentioned this band from Arizona that he had. I, I don't know how he worked into the Capitol signing deal, but somehow he got to um, to work with a young band. I think he wanted to try his hand at producing, so um, he had turned me on to this band called Jimmy Eat World. Hmm. Um, and so, because I was a, a, a triple fast action West Kid worshipper, I immediately sought that out. And I was writing for a, a local print publication at the time, and. Um, an advanced cassette of static prevails came into the office. And, um, so I grabbed that and, uh, listened to that thing nonstop for months. And, and to this day, it's probably, uh, you know, clarity, but, but probably one of my favorite two Jimmy world records. So there's that one. Um, uh, I, I still, I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure, but still love um, Stabbing Westwards, uh, Wither Blister, Burn and Peel from that year. Yeah. Um, coming out of Veruca Salt's kind of indie meets major label um, uh, first album, American Thighs, I think. They, for as much success as they had, they took some some hits through uh, through independent uh, and alternative magazines and writers who kind of thought that they were a the product of a boardroom, so... They released the "Blow Out Your Ass" it's for assault EP, which they recorded with Steve Albini, which was kind of a, a, I think a good thing for them to do to kind of say that you know, that's kind of wh- how they grew up and where they grew up. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, and then and uh, Fiona Apple's title. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, as I look through and kind of uh, think about. It's my history of listening to music, I think it was around the 94, 95, 96 time where, um, and, and, you know, we, we did the the women in rock episode as well. Um, it was kind of in full steam in 96 and discovering kind of like this new young, uh, talent, Fiona Apple was, was pretty awesome. And, and that definitely was, uh, an album I still listen to today as well.
1: You mentioned, um, Stabbing Westford. I want to bring up uh on our patreon page where you can uh, go and leave comments to be read on the show uh one of our subscribers steve musinski he uh he chimed in with um uh, local first off local h is my favorite band so shout out to as good as dead which came out in uh, 96 and uh, by no means it is their best work but all the elements are there for a band that would truly come into its own years to follow Uh, in years to follow, despite unfortunate stigma of being a one-hit wonder. For me, the album still holds up, but I'm sure a lot of that is steeped in nostalgia. Um, Curious to hear your thoughts on uh, people not attached to the band as much as I am. Uh, We can get into that later. But secondly, thought of a handful of albums worth mentioning. He mentioned the Stabbing Westward album. He also mentioned The Descendants, Everything Sucks, uh, Seven Year Bitch, Gato Negro, and Face to Face's self-titled record All Uh, A severely underrated two by the Presidents of the United States of America. Um, And then he brings up uh, two albums which are relevant. uh, Razorblade Suitcase and Wax Estatic. Uh, Razorblade Suitcase being Bush and Wax Estatic being Sponge. Two albums that uh, worked for him at the time but now only really have a few tracks that are worth cherry picking. And then lastly um He said it would be a sin not to mention that Crowbar's broken glass came out in 96. (laughs) He said it's an ass kicker. Absolutely. Um, Those ones that he mentioned, Razorblade Suitcase and Wax Aesthetic, they could be coming up later in this season uh, in our sophomore slump revisited uh, segments that uh, we're going to be doing. So uh, somebody had asked if we were going to do Pinkerton, and I, I thought well, I think Pinkerton's been written about enough. I think everybody's got their opinions in on Pinkerton, so I don't think we need to talk about that sophomore slump. The votes are tallied. Yeah, the votes are tallied. Um, so, Jeff, why don't you talk to us about a few albums that uh, hit you immediately back in 99,
3: 1996? Yeah. Um, you know, there were actually two records that were that you just mentioned uh, from the person who had commented. Um, you know, in 1996, um, you know, I pretty much listen to punk rock like all day every day um so a lot of my choices in the records that immediately hit me are in that in that vein um and two of them were mentioned there um the Descendants record Everything Sucks um we know which was the band's first um record with Milo singing in like nine years and so uh you know their reunion to release that record was huge and and um that's um, just a phenomenal record and one that I listen to a lot still, um, today. Um, and also that face-to-face record that was mentioned earlier, they'll, their self-titled record, which is their third record. Um, just another, um, I'm, I'm a huge face-to-face fan and, and, um, uh, that self-titled record was just another uh, excellent effort, um, by that, by that band. And, and that's one I, I gravitate to a lot, um, Another record that I have to mention because it's my favorite record um, by my favorite band, and that's Less Than Jake. Uh, they put out Losing Streak uh, in 1996, and um, uh, that's just um, you know when you think about again, kind of the punk world. That was also a year where uh, the ska and ska punk stuff was really starting to to gain some traction. Um, which led to, of course, you know, the the boss Tones in 97 um, putting out a huge record with Let's Face It. But, um, you know, Less Than Jake putting out Losing Streak in 1996 is um, one of my all-time favorite records. So um, I can't uh, go without mentioning that. Um, also in the ska genre, um, The Suicide Machines uh, put out a record uh, in 96 as well called Destruction by Definition. Um, probably what some would consider a classic of that, of that genre. Um, again, such a rad record one I listen to, uh, all the time. And then, uh, lastly for maybe a lesser known, uh, band, there was a UK, uh, band, um, called China drum, which put out a record in 1996 called goose fair. It was their debut full length. Um, they kind of crossed the line between punk and more of a, a like kind of a hard rock, uh, sound, um, but just a really great, um, a really great album. And one of the little hidden things about China drum, which is like their little kind of, um, mini claim to fame in the green day video for when I come around, when the band is like walking around the streets, um, Mike Dirnt is actually wearing a China drum t-shirt. So, nice. Uh, so those are my those are some of the records that year that, um, you know, hit me hard that year that I loved then and then I still love today.
1: Mr. Wardlaw, tell us your '96 albums that hit you back then.
0: There were a lot. There were a lot of them, but uh, I guess starting with uh, some that hit me by surprise that I did not search out. Uh, a couple came to mind. Um, certainly for me, I think '95. 1995. It's like there was the debut record from Ben Folds Five, and um, that was kind of something that I heard. That's like you know, wow, you know, I can't see this be being successful. And so for 1996, the rec- the band that kind of occupied that slot was um, the debut Fountains of Wayne record, um, where mm-hmm. it's like I heard this and I'm like, this is just so cool. Um, I think I could see that had more commercial viability than the first time that I'd heard that Ben Folds 5 record, but it just was a really cool thing to hear out of the gate. And um, then one that was pretty unexpected for me was um, I had been a big uh, fan of E and had loved his uh, two solo records, Um, A Man Called E and Broken Toy Shop, which I was pretty sure that pretty much nobody bought. And so there was an advanced CD that came my way of the um, beautiful Freak record from the Eels. And... Somebody mentioned that it was this, you know, guy that like, you know, hadn't had a lot of success prior and they just kind of said E and it's like my eyes like officially bugged out and I grabbed that advanced CD and I was so stoked to listen to it. And, um, and that was a really interesting opening shot from him. Um, I don't know that, um, other than Daisies of the Galaxy, I mean, there really weren't many other Eels records in the catalog that measured up to how that first one hit me. Um, also I would say, um, i guess the third record from cracker the golden age um which again i guess was uh, not as successful as uh, their previous two but um i thought that was a great record and um in the highly anticipated category for 1996 being a big counting crows fan i've been looking forward to um hearing what they were going to do with their next record for quite a while and um So getting my hands on Recovering the Satellites, um, I know that prior to getting Recovering the Satellites, um, I'd gotten a bootleg the previous year of a show that I think they had played somewhere in Hollywood, I think it was, that was like an audience recording where they had basically played most if not all of the new record live um, and just hearing those songs even a rough audience recording I could tell it was gonna be a really a huge step forward for them so um, that was a record that uh, when I got it uh, really delivered um, and other than that I guess I would mention um, it was a good year for well I mean really the 90s there was a lot of singer songwriter stuff floating around and um, there were a couple records um, that came out that year that I really liked. Um, One was the uh, third record from a guy from Chicago, a guy named Michael McDermott, who put out his uh, self-titled record that year. And then uh, the debut record for uh, somebody that I think she is from New York, um, between the one and the nine, Patty Rothberg. Um, Mm. Both both of those two were on EMI, and um, I think that EMI kind of imploded – Shortly after both of those records came out, so you know Michael, who had been kind of struggling to follow up with the success that he had had with his first record back in 1991, um, found himself still continuing to struggle because he basically put out a record. And I remember running into him when he was on tour, mean um, he was in in Cleveland here for a show, and had been down the street. And it's like the record store down the street didn't even have a, didn't even have his album in stock, so he was bummed out about that. So. Um, And, I mean, I like the Social Distortion, White Light, White Heat, White Trash record, Um, the Verve Pipe, Villains. I was not a uh, fan of the freshman, but um, we had been playing um, Photograph, which I thought was a really cool tune, and um, similarly uh, was more a fan of the uh, rock side of Tonic. And while I didn't really dig, like, say, If You Could Only See, uh, I did like the rock stuff that they had on that record and thought that the Lemon Parade record overall was a great uh, rock record. And... um, final two for me i guess um the coolest shaker record and um then the uh self-titled goldfinger record
1: wow that's a lot of stuff i hadn't even remembered that the Cooler yeah. shaker record came mm-hmm. out that year yeah I was and that surprised. was it that was a huge yeah there was a lot of bunch of, of singles that, yeah i had a huge buzz about it jay what about you uh 96
2: is uh i think matt matt may have touched on this When I look back, I I had no idea it was so formative for me, like the records that came out this year. It it really maps to what my musical tastes are now, um, which is interesting. Some of it I discovered at the time. Some of it I discovered a couple years later. So stuff I discovered when it came out.
1: Yeah, a couple years later, we'll talk about later. Yeah,
2: so stuff I would discover when it came out would be uh, Afghan Wigs, Black Love. Um, There was sort of that the beautiful girl soundtrack and the satchel uh, satchels, the family record that kind of all went together and turned me on to that whole little sort of niche of, of bands, um, including Helen Maggie. Um, so that was, that was pretty important for me and I I enjoyed all that stuff at the time and still those hold up pretty well. Um, I was a big fan of that, that first Fiona Apple record too. Uh, Same with chip. It was just so different. Um, and she was so unique. Um, there was some stuff at the time that I liked a lot, like the Black Rose, Three Snakes and a Charm. It's, that might be the last really good Black Rose record uh, for me. Um, Imperial Drag was a band that I liked a lot at the yeah. time. Um, them and Degeneration um, started to come out then, and it was the first time we saw the return of like maybe some glam, glammy elements back in rock. Um, by some bands trying to do it again. So it seemed like uh, some time had passed and it, you could explore that kind of thing again. Uh, they were one of the bands that did that. So uh, and then uh, I, I really enjoyed the the moist creature record. Um, I'm not sure it holds up as well for me now than it did, as it did then, but I listened to it quite a bit then. Oh, and obviously, um, failure fantastic planet. I either started listening to it right that year or probably the year after.
1: Yeah, that's one that I'm probably the year after. I think I had mentioned this before, but I think Keith, our Mm -hmm. former bandmate and, uh, you know, college uh, buddy, uh, he introduced me to that record in 97. So I'll put that in the later discoveries. The stuff that um, was for me 96 – you know, there's the big ones like STP's Tiny Music. I, I really, I think for me, that's their my favorite record. Um, Pearl Jam's No Code. Again, I think with Vitology, that's probably my two favorite Pearl Jam records. I think that, like No Code for me is like the last um, completely cohesive record by them that I like. I like Yield quite a bit, but I don't think it works as well as an entire album. Um, the Weezer Pinkerton album. Um, I actually liked that when it came out. I know there was a lot of hemming and hawing from people about, didn't sound like the blue record, but I, I liked it. You mentioned Black Love by The Wigs. That was a huge one. A couple other ones that um, were huge for me at the time, Wilco's Being There. Yeah. Um, I had gotten into them with AM. I, had, I didn't know Uncle Tupelo, but I discovered them. Um, and Sunvolt in the same year. So I was anticipating that record coming out. We got it early at the studio, or at the... Um, radio station in Bowling Green and uh, I just devoured that record and so much so that uh, I actually transcribed all the lyrics and put them up on the web on a Wilco Uncle Tupelo Sunvolt fan page it's like wow. called gumbo pages.net or something like that I think it might still actually be there and I think I <laughs> tabbed some of the songs out too wow. so yeah Gum- huge wait, wait a minute gumbo pages.net I think it's that I think it's that's what it's if you if you <laughs> Google that. I think it's still around. Is that
3: GeoCities site?
1: Uh, It might be. uh, It might be GeoCities, or it might be what's the other like? Angel Fire? Angel Fire might be (laughs) Angel (laughs) Fire.
0: They didn't always have Uh, the best name for web companies back then. No when um, I get
2: to
1: the site is there a MIDI version of uh, Will to be playing in the background possibly uh, along along the uh, same lines is the golden smog debut record down by the old yeah. mainstream yeah uh, love that record I saw them live on that tour it was a lot of fun and um, uh, kind of solidified my nickname which would become Uncle Tim Cavolt uh, <laughs> for years for years to come That's uh, great. And then uh, a couple other ones. Uh, the Tragically Hip's "Trouble at the Hen House. I'm one of the few American Tragically Hip fans outside of Buffalo, New York, or Detroit, uh, Michigan. And yeah, they're they're a unique, you know, kind of an acquired taste. But uh, that record, it's it's a moodier record than they had put out. But uh, it's got the um, great single Ahead by a Century" and a bunch of other ones. And then. Um, uh, Sebado's Harmacy, I really like that record, and Neil Young and Crazy Horse's Broken Arrow. A uh, lot of really long songs. I think like the first three songs are thirty minutes. Like it's a it's a a chore to get out of that record, but it's a it's an interesting guitar record. He's it's a lot of cool stuff guitar wise. Uh, On that record So, Oh and then I gotta mention uh, Catherine Wheel's Like Cats and Dogs Which is only a B-Sides album But their B-Sides album is better than a lot of Albums by most bands So um, Let's go now to our uh, What I'll call the Metallica load section Our disappointments (laughs) Um, Albums that you were like psyched Oh so and so Or this band is putting out a new record I can't wait to hear it It comes out and then you go It's a, it's a, it's a turd. This is, this is not a good record. Um, I mentioned Load. The other one that I'm going to mention is, um, one that I have a deep, deep, uh, disappointment with because I'm such a fan of this artist. It's Paul Westerberg, his second solo record eventually. Really? Um, I loved 14 Songs. Absolutely love that record. And I'm a huge Replacements fan. But I felt like, I felt like that record was, um, kind of weak kind of that love untold single was very disappointing for me and i got the record and i probably listened to it once or twice and i don't think i ever went back to it again um maybe it's worth going back to i don't know but i that that one was a huge disappointment for me and then um the second gin blossoms album congratulations i'm sorry uh i think because i'm so annoyed by the lyrical choices in um the first single follow you down (laughs) uh i've i I think i actually wrote like a blog post about how annoying that chorus is because it doesn't make sense if you analyze the lyrics anybody know what i'm talking about with the follow you down but not that far like how far what are you talking about (laughs) the hell are you talking about it's
0: pretty ridiculous
1: so uh, let's go around. I'll, I'll reverse it. Uh, Matt, what's uh, something you were looking forward to at the time, but has now uh, became apparent right away that this was a not a good record?
0: Well, you mentioned the record. Um I was a huge, huge fan of the New Miserable Experience record from the Gin Blossoms, Mm -hmm. and uh, so album number two, much like the Counting Crows, album number two from the Gin Blossoms was very highly anticipated, and they might have the most appropriately named disappointment record ever, because (laughs) congratulations, I'm sorry, that's exactly how I felt as I was listening to it. I just wanted to... I think I probably got a promo of the CD, but I still wanted to hurl it against the wall.
1: And Can we blame that on the original songwriter guitar player leaving the band
0: i don't think so because um you know it's funny because they broke up after this second record and then they got back together and um have made i guess two albums since then they made the major lodge victory record um which i told a lot of people at the time that major lodge victory record came out that um that sounded to me like the record that I thought they should have made after New Visible Experience. Like, you know, it's like if you forget that Congratulations, I'm Sorry happened, you can almost put that third record in as like the proper follow up. And then I also liked, um, it's got a horrible name, but I liked the record that they did after that, No Chocolate Cake, as well. So I, th- I think that what, you know, For whatever reason, uh, you know, whether it was record label interference or whatever the case was, I mean, the songwriting mojo just was not there in a huge way with that second record. It just didn't happen.
1: That's a theme we're going to explore when it comes to 1996, Uh, a lot of uh, bands that put out second records and they just uh, didn't have the mojo, as you put it.
0: Um, the, only other, the only other record that I've got on my list, I mean, it was a short list, but the only re- other record I've got on my list uh, is the Def Leppard Slang record, which I know that it's common that that's, you know, even the band knows how much the fans kind of um, push that record aside. Um, and I think that just, you know, being a fan and, you know, coming on the heels of the Adrenalize record and, you know, Hysteria and, of course, everything that all those records... Um, it was just such a left turn, um, and not what I was looking for from a Def Leppard record that um, I couldn't get into it. And even in the years past, uh, you know, as they've like done the big like anniversary reissue and all that kind of stuff, I've gone back to the record, and you know, I, I respect that they were trying to do something artistically and and step outside of their Def Leppard box, but um, it's a record that just still doesn't do it for me.
1: Well, that's going to be an entire podcast when we talk about. Uh, metal bands from the eighties and how they uh transitioned uh in the nineties. <laughs> how they yeah, whether that
0: they survived. I mean you mentioned the Metallica load record. I mean I think that you know Metallica and Soundgarden both kind of put out records that year that they're, you know, fans um I don't know that the down on the upside record was, you know, warmly received by the entire Soundgarden fan base either. So I think that, that was a very similar uh that one had a similar reception to how Metallica fans felt about load.
1: Yeah, that's a record we can talk about a little bit. It's it's uh I mean it broke up the band, I would I think. Yeah. Uh, so clearly they weren't uh I think Cornell was going in one direction and it seemed like yeah. the rest of the band was going in another direction or didn't want to go in his direction. So Um Jeff, what are uh, some of the records that uh, we're not uh, we're not pleasing to you?
3: You know, there's really only two for me, and they were both already kind of mentioned. But um, the the first that was the most crushingly disappointing for me, um, and I know there's a whole lot of you know talk about it, is Pinkerton. Um, I thought the Blue record was perfect. Um, I still think that. I I love that album from beginning to end. And when Pinkerton came out, I just remember being so incredibly disappointed by it. Um, I've since then come around. Um, to Pinkerton, and I actually like the record a lot. Um, I'll always, um, you know, Weezer fans are always kind of in a in a camp. You know, you're in the blue album camp or you're in the Pinkerton camp, um, and I'll always be in the blue album camp. But um, over the years, my my heart has warmed uh, to Pinkerton uh, quite a bit, and I and I like it a lot. But back then, um, I was um, pretty pretty devastated by um, my um, dislike of the record. So. That would be um, the one that immediately came to my mind when uh, when you asked the question, and the other one, uh, which is the one you just previously mentioned, was the was the Soundgarden record down on the upside. Um, Super unknown was just so awesome and such a great record, and so um, diverse and big, and um, you know just a really solid record um, down on the upside. Just just didn't do it for me, so. Um, I was pretty disappointed by that. So those are those are really my, my two. I didn't have a ton of letdowns uh, that year, uh, which is which is a pretty good thing. Chip? So as we talked about in the Van Halen episode, um,
4: like the mid-90s for me and like hard rock, I just, it was kind of a blur. And I kind of, bands that I had loved before, I just didn't pay attention to so much. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll echo the Def Leppard Slang album. Not so much that I think it was a terrible record. I just, I think I just ignored it. Uh, just was not into that kind of music for whatever reason, which is kind of crazy to think now, but same with Metallica Load. I remember the, the, the two that I was thinking about that, um, that I have on my list, uh, Pantera's Great Southern Trendkill. So I think Vulgar Display of Power might be the best hard rock album of the nineties. So coming off that, um, yeah, I just I maybe I didn't give it a fair chance, but it just didn't it didn't do it for me. Uh the great great Southern Trend Kill album. And then um uh you guys probably all have this experience either talking about records or writing about records, um writing negative reviews. And so I remember reviewing uh Fishbones Chim Chim's Badass Revenge review. And that's another band that I was totally outside of my regular wheelhouse, I guess, of, of what I would typically listen to, but uh, Truth and Soul I loved, um, uh, Reality of My Surroundings I loved, uh, there's another one in there too, um, in the 90s, but uh, I remember writing the review of Chim Chim's Badass Revenge, and just, just didn't feel it, I don't know, I just didn't like it, and I was writing for that same music publication I was talking about earlier, and I um, one of the only pieces of hate mail I ever got. And somebody had written on a uh, hotel stationery from some hotel in like California. I think it was California, maybe Detroit. I don't know. I got it. Anyway, I got, I got a hate letter that um, I obviously didn't know what I was talking about. I was an idiot and obviously not a fishbone fan and hadn't listened to the record and all that kind of stuff. And uh, like I said, it kind of pained me to write that review because um, they were, they're were the type of band that my friends totally did not listen to and weren't into and I was trying to turn them on to them, and ended up converting quite a few people. So, like I said, it was a disappointment to have to write that review.
1: Oh, when people used to write handwritten angry letters. Yeah. So much harder than firing off an email or <laughs> yeah. posting or commenting a, on a blog. Yeah. yeah, commenting on a blog. That took some real effort. They you it's really angered that person. I know.
3: I know. <laughs> hard hard wow. to send an anonymous letter. <laughs>
1: yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or buy a That's stamp. Your- Yeah, Yeah, they spent money. Stamps were probably like 12 cents back then, but. Uh, Jay? Uh, This was a time where, um,
2: you know, I started to uh, discover a whole bunch of music that wasn't on the radio, which was awesome. And there was some stuff on the radio that I found myself liking a single and going to buy the record and being totally disappointed. Two of those that pop out are um, a band called Reef. If anybody uh, yeah, oh
0: Where's yeah, um,
2: yeah. So I loved that tune. I just felt like it was like raw, and I like the guy's voice. And I'm like, oh, this is a you know a UK band, rock and roll band. You know, it's going to be like the Stones for the '90s or something. And I got it. It is not. It was not that at all. Um, there is one other good song in there called "You're Old," but the rest of the record is very meandering and not very good. Um, And the other one was Space Hog.
0: Um, Mm.
2: I was really into that in the meantime. I just thought it was so different for the time and so unique sounding. And again, the rest of that record, maybe I'd appreciate it more now, but at the time I I didn't get it. It really felt like that song and then a bunch of other stuff that had nothing to do with that song. So that's when I I think pretty much turned off the radio after 1996 (laughs) and haven't gone back since. I was like,
1: yeah. This isn't really isn't going anywhere for me. Since we're in this section, I want to ask uh, people's opinions. Uh, I don't know that you're necessarily fans of this band, but REM put out New Adventures in Hi-Fi in 1996, and um, you know they had made a couple of left and right turns in their career. Uh, You know, Monster being the previous album had some. That was a pretty big left turn for the band with the big guitars and, uh, sounds on that record. And then this one, you know, this was the first of their huge record deal that they signed, I believe. And, um, it's a long record. I think there's like 15 or 16 songs. I mean, it's, it's, and they're long songs. Um, I can't, I couldn't, other than Ebo the letter, I couldn't tell you another song off this record. Does anybody have any thoughts about new adventures in Hi-Fi and whether it was a disappointment or not?
3: Yeah, I'd actually, oh. I'd actually love to um, talk about that. I actually listened to this record um, like four times in the last two days, um, preparing for this episode. So kind of stuff that's getting talked about. Um, I actually really like this record. Um, yeah, it's got a lot of long songs on it, and. Evo the Letter is kind of a weird song to have as, as a single, um, in my opinion. Um, but there are some great tunes on this record. Um, the Wake Up Bomb uh, yep. is one that comes to mind. Um, and actually, um, the longest song on the record, um, which is over seven minutes, um, called Leave, um, is actually probably my favorite song on the record. Yes, um, me too. And so I, I actually really like uh, this record, and um, I could probably go on and on about um, REM and, and their career and, and how you know pretty much from Monster on, um, you know their their catalog was was treated somewhat unfairly, um, maybe a little fairly at the end, but. Um, you know, when, when the first half of their, their output is just so phenomenal and amazing record after amazing record, um, it's a little unfair to to treat a band um, like R.E.M. to that standard um, forever. But I think New Adventures in Hi-Fi is a really great record. And, um, uh, you know, despite the long songs and, and despite the, you know, where they went. I mean, Electrolyte is a great song to close out the record. Um yep i i love that record i i uh i love that band overall and um i think this is a really solid record and and i know monster is you know got its pros and cons and and uh as you said was a left turn for them but um i think new adventures in hi-fi really kind of put them back to making really awesome records yep i would agree i uh you know when I was fighting for the Motley Crue's and the
4: Poisons and the Warrants, I had uh, friends and roommates who were in the REM camp and uh, and I did not get REM at all. And, and we battled over the cassette player and who got to play what. And um, so I, then when I heard Monster, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of post-Monster REM and I don't listen to the earlier stuff. And so, yeah, this record, um, I'm the same way. I, I love that record. And, and Leave is, an, is a song that I listen to I dig it up every once in a while. It's, uh, it's got, it kind of got that, like the almost like a siren kind of yeah. going throughout the song. It's, man, I, man. I love it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Then other <laughs> one I wanted to mention after I've been sh- thoroughly shut down on that.
2: <laughs> well, good work bringing it up.
1: Yeah. Uh, the cures hey. wild mood swings. That was a huge band. Um, you know, Late '80s with disintegration, um, number of albums, and the uh, the darkness seemed to depart on this record with songs like Mint Car and uh, a couple other ones. I'm just curious people's opinions on this record because I mean this is a band that shifted its sound from the early, you know, Boys Don't Cry era to, you know. Disintegration was a, was a change for that band In terms of its longer and more textured songs um, But I remember when Wild Mood Swings came out That it was, uh, I don't know if I wouldn't say it was poorly received But it definitely got mixed reviews And I'm curious, it being another uh, Big band from the 80s like R.E.M. That was influential uh, If anybody had opinions on this one as well Or not <laughs> or nobody gave a shit. <laughs>
2: That's okay. Complete I think apathy. uh yeah or, yeah I, I
4: didn't really start with, like I I knew the earlier stuff but then um I was thinking well, I I didn't I didn't start listening really listening to him or going back and listening to him until Blood Flowers which uh came out in 2000 and I love that record but I don't know that I think my wife has wild mood swings maybe but I'm not sure that I ever even
3: listened to it. Take it out of context, that sounds really funny. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, then. So let's move on from that, then. It was a, a, a dud of an album, apparently. Uh, let's talk about, we, we briefly mentioned it, uh, albums that we did not know at the time, but have later, uh, whether it was a year later, 10 years later, 20 years later, have come to appreciate... Um, them as uh as gems from 1996 uh chip i'm gonna start with you um that's kind
4: of tough because i was i was writing for a magazine at the time so i was listening to a ton of stuff um uh even if i wasn't reviewing it um anything that was coming i was listening to so there's not there's not a ton i think um as i was looking kind of at releases of 96 um i've only recently started listening to unwound we put out an album in 96, um, that I'm, that was probably for me at the time, a little too underground and indie for me to have recognized. So, um, what else do I have? Um, I mean, I love not a surf's popular, uh, but I don't know that I appreciated the band for being not a surf, mm-hmm. uh, until years later. Um, I, i I bought the CD and I'm sure listened to popular a million times and the rest of the album five times. Um, so it took it took some time to go back and actually listen to it all. Um,
1: yeah, I think those are the two. Okay, Matt,
0: I'm gonna echo Chip. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot for me either, but I mean, he mentioned not a surf, and that's a really good mention. I don't know that I disliked popular, um, but I mean, I just heard it so much on the radio at the time that. Um, If I had the album, um, I don't know that. I listened to the rest of the album, and after having Popular drilled into my head for a year straight, um, it didn't make me want to investigate uh, the rest of what they put out as they continue to put out records, and uh, that was something that, as I did finally come around and discover those records, um, that's a band that I really came to love. Still love.
1: Jeff, what about you?
3: Well, I've actually got... um Quite a bunch Um, As I have gotten older My tastes have expanded And so um, I don't just listen to punk rock All day, every day Just most days, most of the time But um, there are several records That came out in 96 That I think are worth mentioning Some have been mentioned already And some haven't Um, Bob Mould put out um, His first solo record Post-Sugar that year Um, I loved Sugar um, when they were around, um, you know, two really great, um, full lengths. And so, um, I was kind of heartbroken when that band, um, was no more, but, um, Bob Mould put out a solo record, um, that I have grown to love and love all of his solo work now. Um, so that's worth mentioning. Um, it was mentioned earlier, um, but Counting Crows, Recovering the Satellites, um, such a great record, um, Um, I think if I had a gun to my head, I like it better than August and everything after. Um, Just from beginning to end, just really, really solid. Um, There's a small band also from the San Francisco area called Crumb. Um, I actually didn't find out about this band until last week um, when I did a little post on my Facebook uh, page that I was coming on to to do this episode, I asked all my friends like, what were some of their favorite records from 1996? And uh, a friend of mine chimed in uh, with this band called Crumb. Uh, their album uh, was called Romance Is a Slow Dance, and um, they just have a really good, um, you know, basically a kind of a, a of a rock sound. Um, it's hard to describe. Um, Jeff, Jeff, have you heard the, the follow-up to that one? Um, it's actually on its way to me in the mail, matter of fact. Uh, uh, man, it's <laughs> one of my favorite records. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to I can't wait to, to get it. So um, I really love Romance is a Slow Dance. I've been listening to it like almost all week when I haven't been listening to R.E.M. But, uh, man, just a really great record. Um, also worth noting, I know Jay mentioned it as one of his favorites from that year, Failure's Fantastic Planet. Uh, took me a few years to uh, Discover Failure But um, that's such a great Such a great record um, Jawbox put out a record in 1996 Their self-titled mm-hmm. uh, album Also worth noting They're such a rad band And and had such a great output uh, Over the years It just took me a little bit to uh, Discover them uh, And that record after 1996 And uh, just two more I promise Um uh, totally outside of my normal wheelhouse um, But I've really grown to to Love it here recently Is Luscious Jackson's Fever In Fever Out record um, You know That kind of loungy hip hop um, You know All female group um, Just really cool That's like a really good record To just kind of chill to And um, uh, relax with I, I've really kind of grown to, to really love that record um, And then lastly um As a genre as a whole, I've really grown um, to love power pop. And one of my favorite power pop records came out in 1996, and that's Super Drags Regretfully Yours. Um, You know, that song sucked out, um, got a lot of airplay uh, that year, and and really is a great, uh, really a great tune. Um, But that whole record is just really phenomenal, uh, front to back. And so that's another one that that I discovered uh, post 1996.
1: I like that you crowdsourced for your some of your uh, responses. Right on. That's, that's, very, uh, that's very 2016 of you. <laughs> um, Jay, some of your discoveries?
2: Yeah, there's been quite a few. Um, some huge ones would be Manic Street Preachers, Everything Must Go. I think that was actually you and I discovered that together a little yep. bit after it came out.
1: It was We discovered it when This Is Your Truth, Tell Me Yours came out. Right, that's when we were really getting into, into like a lot of British stuff,
2: right? Um, Spoon Telefono, which is just a brilliant album. I mean, it's so lo fi in a great way, and uh, they've gone on to do some obviously different sounding things, but this is the rawest they, they ever were. Um, Weezer pinkerton was something that they you know they were a band i almost wrote off on the blue album just from being familiar with the singles in terms of they felt a little jokey to me and i just didn't take them seriously i mean i thought the songs were okay but i was for a second record didn't interest me but then uh, a few years later just hearing it more i, I really came to appreciate it um the frames Fitzgeraldo um uh, was a record I loved uh, when I discovered it several years later from you. Um, Super drag was the same thing as Weezer, you know, sucked out. I liked, but I thought it was a little, I wasn't quite sure what, you know, where the band would be like on a full record. And a couple years later, I finally picked the record up and then ended up becoming one of my favorite bands. Um, same thing with the Cardigans. Um, you know, Loveful was okay. Uh, but first band in the moon, the whole record is, 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 is pretty unique and everything they've done since then I, I love. So that's a, a band that I discovered uh, a little late. Whiskey Town's a band I discovered very late, but um like it quite a bit. Faithful Street came out that year. And the last one I'll mention is uh, New York Loose, which is a band I just discovered a couple years ago, and that their record Year of the Rat came out in 96. So a lot of stuff
1: digging up late uh, for this year. Cool. Well, you guys have stolen most of the ones I was going to mention. Two that weren't mentioned. uh, One is a band that we reviewed, Season 1, Luster. Uh, They had a song on the Empire Records soundtrack with their self-titled record, and as far as I know, their only record came out in 96, Good Guitar Rock.
3: That's a great record. Uh,
1: And the other one I wanted to mention was Suede's Coming Up. Um, I didn't get into Suede until Head Music came out. Again, that was like late like end of the decade, right around the time we also did, got into Mang Street Preachers, you and IJ, Jay. Um, but I went back and got coming up, and there's a ton of great singles on that record, and then that led me back to like Dogman Star and the debut album, and um, I've been a fan of theirs ever since. Although I can't say that I've loved every record since uh, coming up and uh, head music. But um, yeah, Jawbox, Mang Street Preachers, not a serve, super drag, failure on board with all those that uh, you guys mentioned. So, last one I want to uh, go around the room with is uh, the albums that have not stood the test of time. These were albums that you may have loved at the time, but now you go back and you're like, "Huh, not sure. I'm <laughs> not sure I'm really digging this." Or you used to love the whole record, and now you're like Steve mentioned with. Like wax Static. maybe there's just a couple of songs on this that are, you know, maybe you only like swallowed off of Razor Blade's Suitcase. You're not a big fan of Greedy Fly anymore, uh, <laughs> you know. So you got it, Tim. Okay, so let's go. Let's it's, go. I think you covered
2: everybody with that one.
1: Oh, I did. Yeah. Okay, are those the only two? Um. Uh, <laughs> uh, I Any. I'll, you know, maybe not everybody has an answer for this, but uh, Matt, any any records that you loved back then when they came out, and now you're like not so in love with them. The the love has lo- has been lost.
0: You know what? Not really. I mean, I kind of divided my list. You know, when I made a list into like favorites, and then I made a list called others. And I mean, really looking at those two lists, um, I'm still pretty on board with all the records.
1: Okay, Chip
4: uh yeah for the most part I think there was um uh I was probably recording like 120 minutes every Sunday night that year Me too, and I don't know that I uh, again because I was writing I think I was trying to mooch free CDs off college reps in Columbus so I probably didn't pay for a lot of CDs but um there are a lot of CDs that I that I like uh, a single off of um Bloodhound Gang Nerf Herder Citizen King uh butthole surfers, um, that, you know, I like those singles, but I haven't, I haven't gone back and listened to them and, and really (laughs) probably choose not to.
1: Jeff.
3: So when I was thinking about this question, I, I was listening to a lot of different stuff and, and trying to think of, of, of a record that might fit this category. And I did find, one and it's really more of like a record that i loved in 1996 and now that we're 20 years removed from 1996 i just love it less um if it did if i didn't have any nostalgic feelings for it at all i probably wouldn't be one i'd really listen to very often um and it was mentioned at the very beginning of this episode but it's the the self-titled goldfinger record um you know some great singles off of that um, Ones I still kind of Bop around to when I listened to it earlier this week um, But as a whole um, Again without those nostalgic Feelings that I have for that record I, I probably wouldn't listen to it anymore
1: Jay Anything that Has, uh, uh, has the, the shine has come off There's I can't really th- Come
2: up with anything where I'm like <laughs> just turned on it, you know, where I just can't listen to it. I mean, obviously there's some here that don't work quite as well. Um, but I'll, I still, it's probably the nostalgia factor. I still appreciate them, um, you know, in a certain way. So, I mean, I guess the, the one I, I mentioned earlier that I probably listened to the most that I listen to the least now would be uh, moist creature, but that's uh that's about it i mean i don't and even that when i go through i'm like oh some of this is okay some of it's not so great
1: well i got a couple I'll, I'll throw them out and you guys can you know uh you can thumbs them up thumb them up or thumb them down uh one is uh, rage against the machine's evil empire i was a huge fan of the first record and i listened to that second record a lot when it came out and now when i listen to it i'm like this is ridiculous like <laughs> What Are We So Mad About in 1996 that we're making this record? I think that's fair. Um, One that uh, I think I was in love with it at the time because I was a huge Pixies fan. Uh, I came to the Pixies after they broke up, but before the solo album started coming from Frank Black. So uh, The Cult of Ray came out in um, 96, and I was a big fan of that lead single, Men in Black, and, uh, I got the album and I listened to it a lot and I tried to like, like it cause I was really liking the Pixies, but now I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. So that's one that has not stuck with me as much. And then, um, what was the other one that I was looking at? Um... Oh, Soul, Soul Coughing. Love the first Soul Coughing record. I like the single Super Bon Bon. I think that's a fun single from them. But I remember liking that record a lot. <laughs> I remember having a very short but depressing conversation with our music director at the radio station where um, I was playing the song. I was playing the single in the studio and he came in and he was like, what do you think of the new record? I was like, I really like it. And he's like, it's shit. And he just walked out. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, well. All right. So I'm surprised nobody mentioned, like, Squirrel Nut Zippers or...
2: Uh, you had would have had to have liked them in the first place. Right.
1: Also, the the Lemonheads record, Car Button Cloth. Um, I remember really liking that record, but I don't think I've listened to it since 1996. hmm Unloving Criminals. <laughs> did you listen to the whole record, or did you just go... Yeah. To, really? Yeah. Does it sound just like that one single, or is so it... So you're it, the one. I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who did they open... Didn't they open for, like, U2 within the
4: last 10 years? Like, they're still really oh. big in Europe. Yeah, they're still really big in Europe. What?
1: Like, really
2: big. did I mean, they have it, a song about Scooby Snacks or something? Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
1: that was a single. This was a big year for weird singles, because you had, yes. like the space uh album spiders would had female of the species you had the sneaker pimps album becoming x which had the 6 underground um you had the republica album with ready to go i mean there were just a lot of these like one off weird singles that were isn't like isn't
2: the primitive radio god song isn't that the oh yeah 96
1: yeah. that yeah you're probably right about that you had Mato with Know Your Chicken this year, Cake, Fashion Nugget, so you had uh, The Distance and um, the Gloria Gaynor cover. This is the Electric Larry Land album for Butthole Surfer, so that's the uh, Papper. Pepper. I mean, there's just bizarre singles this year, which yeah, could be a whole it, show.
2: It really became, I think, it seemed like there was a three-year span there where there was a lot of novelty-esque songs on uh, alternative rock radio.
1: Yeah. So let's put a bow on this particular record. We've just passed the hour mark. And um, if we had to choose one record to place in a time capsule that would go up into space to an alien civilization, and we had explained explain 1996 to them, what album would you guys pick to represent 1996? Chip, I'll start with you. Wow. I mean, I don't, don't.
4: I don't think there is another choice.
2: Don't take mine. Mm-bop.
4: <laughs>
2: Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Whoa! Was that? Ninety-six.
1: It was. Yes, It was. Wow! I think the album came out, and then the single was big in '97. Yeah. Like, I, I don't did, think. I don't think the single was big before the record. I think it like hit after the record.
2: How did that happen? Has somebody, <laughs> written, has somebody written that book or that movie? Of like, how how could this have happened? <laughs> I don't know. Um,
1: oh, boy. Um, oh, so you're not going with Mbapp. That was um, I'm, not, I'm not. Oh. Uh, you're not going with Fairweather Johnson either by Hootie and the Blowfish?
4: No. Okay. Let me go with one that I haven't mentioned yet. Um, Girls Against Boys, House of GVSB. Oh, that's a good one. Because I think, to me, I remember listening to that and thinking, this is post-apocalyptic dance music, so I think it would work very well in the future. That's
1: that's a good description. mm mm-hmm of that band Uh, Jeff your one album in the time capsule
3: that's a tough question but um, I really can't imagine a future being successful without there being any kind of punk rock in it and so I'm going to pick the Descendants record Everything Sucks
0: good choice Mr. Wardlaw I'm going to put in um, the Counting Crows Recovering the Satellites record Along with a uh, lock of Adam Duritz's hair. <laughs> oh. So they can replicate it and create an army of Duritz's?
1: Exactly. <laughs> nice. That's not his real hair,
2: so it'll just be... <laughs> There's no DNA in that hair. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> uh, Jay?
2: Fantastic. Uh, well, I could be thematic and say, you know, Fantastic Planet or First Band on the Moon. Uh, for sending this into space, but I'll go with Weezer Pinkerton. I think it's the album that probably, almost to their to to their pain, most captures a time and place and a a description of what you know a, a youth was like in America of that age at that time. You know, I think that record very much uh, could have been a lot of people's diaries. And the sound of the record is, is very much, uh, you know, it's timeless, but it's also very, you know, um, evokes that middle 90s period for me. So,
1: Cool. I was thinking about going uh, the route of um, putting in the helicopters super shitty to the max and just uh, scaring the crap out of the <laughs> aliens. So they'll never come and attack us based on the level of distortion that's on that record. Okay. Um but uh, I would go with Wilco's being there because I kind of feel like that's the songbook of like American and British rock. There's songs that sound like the replace, replacements, the uh, Rolling Stones, Johnny Cash. It, it he's pretty much uh, writing in the in the style of dozen different. Uh, Important artists, the Beach Boys, you name it. They're, they're, it's all over that record. So uh, I would go with uh, Wilco's Being There as my uh, time capsule pick. So we're going to wrap up here. Any albums that we didn't mention that deserve mentioning, throwing it out there. This is uh, open forum. The only
2: one on my list I didn't mention was uh, King's X Ear Candy, which I think was a very cool tour- turn for a band that uh, who saw a lot of their cohorts really really struggling and they managed to make it through the 90s i think making some pretty cool music and this is one one of those records i think we reviewed this didn't we tim
1: we did that's when he failed yeah. to show up for the uh, interview we uh yeah end up reviewing the record So <laughs> yeah anybody else
4: i've always got a i've always got a backup list so uh i, I got a uh a, a sony promo um kind of a mix CD with a bunch of bands they were trying to promote and the band far was on there. Yeah, And that was when I had heard, there was rumors about the guy from helmet starting a new band. And when I heard the far song, I totally thought it was handsome because that's what I envisioned in my head that handsome would sound like. So, um, yeah, far, uh, the Ren Secaucus album came out, which was, um, if you're a fan of the newer, I know that's kind of a relative term since they put out albums like every 15 years. But, um, so, Caucus is definitely like more weird, pixies ish, kind of uh, crazy, weird music. Um, it's an awesome album. Uh, and then, two of my favorite bands ever put out records that year. Um, the, how do you say it, posthumous uh, Blind Melon um, Rarities album, I guess you'd call it, uh, stuff that hadn't come out after Shannon Hoon died. They put out an album called Nico. Mm-hmm. And um, in. A further decline into their darker days, and yet I still like the record a lot. Warren's Belly to Belly, Volume One, which was never fo- followed up with a Volume Two, but um, that album came out on CMC International, which put out a bunch of '80s hair metal. Hmm, I remember that.
1: I don't think it's they're hair- the first artist to put out a Volume One and then not follow yes. it up with a Volume Two.
4: Oh, and you know what album sucked was the LA Guns American Hardcore record. Oh man,
2: I forgot about that. That's
4: when they tried to go like all heavy and new yeah, metal, yeah, yeah. and they got a guy with like. 800 face piercings was terrible
2: awful that was my first uh interview on the college radio station we interviewed tracy guns uh for that that record yeah it was terrible
1: anyone else
3: um yeah i've got a um uh, like chip i've got a backup list so i'll kind of run through it Real quick, some other favorite records of mine from 96. Uh, Down by Law, a great punk rock band, put out a record on Epitaph called All Scratched Up. Um, Really great, diverse record. Independence Day is one of my favorite punk rock tunes. Um, The Refreshments put out a pretty cool record uh, that year. Fizzy, Fuzzy, Big and Buzzy. Definitely worth looking at. Um, Another great ska record from that year uh, was a band out of Connecticut called Springheel Jack. Jack. Uh, their debut record, Static Worldview uh, came out that year. Um, also another kind of classic skate punk record that came out in 96 was strung out suburban teenage wasteland. Um, one that I listen to regularly. And then my last three kind of more in the alternative genre are um, the Posies put out a record um, in 1996, Amazing Disgrace and, mm-hmm. um, Really solid. Um, I know that doesn't get as much love as some of their other records, but that's just a solid record. Um, Throwing Muses put out um, a record that year called Limbo, which is pretty cool. Um, Didn't get as much love as University did, but um, I I really dig that record. Um, And then lastly, um, Velocity Girl um, put out Gilded Stars and Zealous Hearts uh, that year, um, and I really uh, love that record too. Oh, I amazing disgrace didn't come up on my list when i saw what was released
4: forget everything i said that was my favorite record of the year
1: (laughs) Ooh, chip with the uh with the last minute substitution i missed that one that's all right uh matt do you have any that need to be mentioned before we go no i think i'm good okay a few that i want to mention um and these are a little bit out there picks dj shadows introducing uh tricky's Uh, pre-millennium tension two albums that i really like from that era uh tools enema uh, and what was the other one that i was looking for that uh oh screaming trees dust good record that uh, did not get mentioned um i think that's it i think we've covered 1996 in full oh I know what it was guided by voices under the bushes under the stars that was actually the record that i got into them on i did not know about alien lanes or b1000 before that so it was uh under the bushes under the stars i think the official ironman rally song was the single off that record that we started playing at the radio station and then uh began the collection collecting of Every uh, guided by voices and Barbara Pollard side project uh, after that. So that has taken up quite a bit of time. Um, Nobody mentioned Demiroquai. What the hell? Oh, (laughs) man. That's another
2: weird.
4: How did that happen? What about Bell and Sebastian put out if you're feeling sinister in 96 to you?
1: That's true. They put out two records that year. Yeah. And. it took till now and nobody mentioned bloodhound gang come on folks i did oh, oh, oh you did yeah. in my
4: in my in my in my ones that i i bought for the single and oh. don't listen to
1: gotcha all right gentlemen it's been a pleasure you said all you said all you can say and we're going to wrap this up now chip we can find you at kidsinterviewbands.com on the web and of course at the Twitter handle and at chip at night on uh, Twitter. That's it. Uh, Matt, we can find you on the web on your new podcast, lost together, which is, uh, I think that's lost together pod.com.
0: Correct. It's Thank the you, website.
1: sir. And you are at ultimate classic rock as a writer and a bunch of other places. We can just Google your name and I'm sure they'll find you an M wordlaw on Twitter. I believe Yes, sir. And and, and gumbo
2: pages.net. (laughs) Angelfire backslash (laughs)
1: geocities. That
2: site does not load, by the way. Oh, it doesn't? It just sits there. At least for me, it wouldn't load. So there's something there.
1: There is. You might have to go to the Wayback Machine to find it. (laughs) Not going to lie. And Jeff, we can find you on the Twitter at, is it Rocket Fuel Podcast?
3: Uh, Twitter is Rocket underscore Fuel.
1: Okay. Over at PunkTastic, you write about bands um, from the Buzzbin, I believe?
3: Yeah, I do a column called Back to the Buzzbin where I um, select uh, bands from the 90s that I just feel like didn't get enough love and uh, basically tell their story. What's
1: next on the uh, agenda for that?
3: I am... Finishing up the interview uh, with a band from uh, the Berkeley, California area called Engine 88. Um, They were really rad and uh, put out three great records um, that seemingly no one listened to. And so I'm hoping to do my little part to change that in the world.
1: Very cool. Well, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us positive feedback over at iTunes. Join the conversation on this episode at Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, and digmeoutpodcast.com. And of course, if you want to take part in uh, this discussion before the episode, join us over at our Patreon page to uh, join our virtual uh, board of directors to help us pick upcoming episodes, chime in, get advanced info on shows and whatnot. All that sort of thing. So that's it. Thanks, everybody, for uh, doing this episode. This was Great way to kick off the new year. And uh that's it for Jay. I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash dig me out or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com.